The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. U.S. stocks close in the red to end a rocky week on Wall Street, while Asian shares edge higher as Goldman Sachs warns the trade war has raised the risk of a U.S. recession. China sets its yuan fix at weaker than seven for the third straight day, while the IMF clashes with the U.S., saying there's little evidence of currency intervention from Beijing. Italian Deputy Prime Minister Matteo Salvini denies plans to leave the euro as he calls time on Rome's ruling coalition and eyes snap elections. The search is over. Sandvik CEO Bjorn Rosengren will assume the top job at engineering group ABB, taking over from acting CEO Peter Vosser in March. And U.S. President Donald Trump struggling to seal the deal when it comes to putting together a 20-member coalition to protect maritime shipping lanes here in the Persian Gulf. We take you aboard the USS Abraham Lincoln to find out what they're doing to take Turtur Tehran. Well, happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box. We are coming off of an extremely turbulent week, not one for the faint-hearted investor. Uh, U.S. stocks ending in the red for the week, albeit off the lows. Investors across the globe dealing primarily with fallout from that escalation in U.S.-China trade tensions. On top of that, on Friday, Italy came straight into the fore with political instability returning to the country. We saw global bond yields hit record lows in Germany, France, U.K., Spain, and more. We also saw oil turn in its third negative week in four. So a ton of volatility for investors to digest. And on Friday, we uh, we ended the, the week on a weaker note. Uh, NASDAQ down about 1%. The S&P 500 down about uh, six-tenths of a percent. And the Dow down about a third of a percent. Now let's take a look at treasuries. Uh, as I mentioned there, we saw global yields hit record lows in a number of countries. And looking at the U.S. Treasury curve here, we look at the U.S. 10-year trading at 1.7447%. This follows the end of the week previous, 1.85%. So a huge step lower in the 10-year, but across the curve and across the globe, the big story has, of course, been this drop, this plunge in bond yields. Let's take a look at the dollar next. The dollar index retreated on Friday, ending the week down more than a half a percentage point. Uh, In terms of the different movers here, the yen has been the key beneficiary, the key safe haven uh, bid that we've seen. And we saw it strengthen further last week. Right now, uh, strengthening as well. The dollar down about a third of a percentage point versus the Japanese currency. The euro at the moment stabilizing versus the dollar, but we saw the euro gain about eight tenths of a percent versus the dollar last week. So again, this story of dollar uh, of dollar weakness coming through last week. Let's move on and take a look at commodity markets. So oil and uh, oil taking a look at the, this commodity first. WTI trading about a third of a percentage point lower today. We saw some big volatility in the oil price last week. We saw prices rise Friday for both WTI 
and Brent, but closing the week lower. So overall, not compensating for the drop we saw earlier on. Brent in the latest session trading down about two-tenths of a percent. So a bit of stabilization coming through after that volatility we saw last week. Uh, let's take a look at Asian markets next. The overnight session, uh, a couple of markets closed for, a handful of markets closed for holiday, but the Chinese markets trading this morning. We are seeing uh, a bit of strength coming through. Shanghai Composite up about seven-tenths of a percent. Uh, the Hang Seng uh, pretty much flat. That is despite continued protests, violent clashes between protesters and police taking place over the weekend yet again. But investors shrugging that off for the time being. Let's take a look now at European opening calls and see how this all sets us up for the European Open. A bit of a muted start, but one of positive uh, positive momentum, it seems. Uh, FTSE Mid looking at a 17-point jump at the Open, and uh, UK, German, and French stocks also looking at a slightly positive start to trade this week. Karen? Juliana, thank you very much. Uh, let's just take a quick snapshot of the Dow over the course of last week. It was perched lower for the start on Wall Street uh, Friday session. And with the, the red ink that splashed up, uh, continued that loss. And you can see trading weaker over the course of the seven days by three quarters of one percent. However, it is off some of the lows that we posted last week, about 3.3 percent off the lows. Still positive year to date, up about 12 percent, but it's come back about four percent from the record level. So it just tells you how far we've traveled and how much room there is for investors to either get back into risky assets or sell them off, depending on how you see the scenario playing out from here. China, by comparison, now this is the course of the week, uh, right at the epicenter of many of the fears around the yuan fix and uh, some of the changes, of course, we saw on the psychology of the investors, whether this is now morphing into a currency warfare away from just trade. That uh, heightened fear, of course, uh, damaged the trade on China. We don't have the board to show you, but it was uh, certainly a weaker course for the trading pattern in China. And meanwhile, China has fixed the yuan weaker than the sensitive seven per dollar level for the third straight session. While today's midpoint is weaker than Friday, it is stronger than the market had forecast. The risk of recession is rising as the U.S. and China will not strike a trade deal before the 2020 American election, according to Goldman Sachs. The investment bank has lowered its fourth quarter U.S. GDP forecast by 20 basis points and says it expects the next round of tariffs on the remaining $300 billion worth of Chinese exports to be implemented as Trump has threatened on September 1st. That's amid ongoing uncertainty over the future of a key Chinese tech company stuck in the crossfire. U.S. companies are anxiously awaiting the Trump administration's decision on Huawei. The U.S. Commerce Department's 90-day license extension allowing U.S. suppliers to work with Huawei expires in the coming days. And big tech firms that supply to Huawei are unclear what the Trump administration plans to do. The White House has said before that certain components, mass market ones, could be sold to the Chinese tech giant. But recent comments by President Trump seem to contradict that. The Commerce Department clarified to CNBC that it's still processing licenses and that President Trump was only referring to the U.S. ban on buying Huawei gear. Separately, the International Monetary Fund weighed in on the trade dispute. The fund warned that fresh U.S. tariffs could take as much as 0.8 percent off of growth in the next year and force China to stimulate the economy further. The IMF also repeated its view that the Chinese yuan is not significantly overvalued or undervalued, suggesting that it doesn't share the Trump administration's point of view that China is a currency manipulator. Eunice Yoon, CBC Business News, Beijing.
Seema Shah has joined us, Chief Strategist, Principal Global Investors. Seema, a very swift reversal away from risk assets yesterday, that investors getting back into some of those trades. But where do we go from here is a big question. Goldman Sachs, with its warning flag up, suggesting that there could be a U.S. recession now, that there's not going to be a trade deal coming before the U.S. presidential election. What do you make of how investors now need to navigate the path that's been set out? Well, I think if we just look back to kind of January, where things have been since then, you know, the market has obviously performed extremely well. And that's despite a relatively negative backdrop. Uh, you know, the fundamental economy has been weakening and yet equities have continued to move higher, almost reacting as if world growth has been very, very strong. So if anything, I felt like it needed a catalyst at some point to bring reality back to market perceptions. And I think what this trade war has done is bring reality back. It shows the market there is significant risk. You have to look at risk return right now. And at the moment, the risk is greater. You say that, but there's still been a flight to defensives, which is an area of the market and equities that many investors feel are overpriced anyway. And the correction we talk about has sent a lot of investors into bonds. So a record low level for some of the bond yields from Germany, France, Spain, Great Britain and others. How is that a correction that looks more normal? You're right in some ways, but I think what we're looking at with this whole trade war, which is which is making investors, um, it's a very difficult position to be in, is so much is resting on the geopolitical dynamics, more so than I think in the past. It really depends on a tweet. It can change at any point in time. So investors have to be very cognizant of that. You have to stay invested in risk assets as long as you don't believe that there is a recession on the horizon. Now, for principle, we don't believe that there is a recession on the horizon for 2020. So within that regard, we think that risk assets can, can continue to perform well. And certainly we actually believe that growth will continue to pick up, start to pick up towards the end of the year. Um, on top of that, we've actually had so many clients telling us that they have stayed away from risk assets. They've missed out on the rally and they're very eager to put their money back into um, any kind of risk assets as long as there is no recession. What do you think is going to cause the pickup in growth toward the end of the year? Well, I think there's a number of things. If we look back again, you know, look at last year, why did the growth slowdown happening? It was deleveraging in China. It was all the idiosyncratic problems in Europe. Now, much of that has actually faded off. We have had the trade war, of course, which is putting further downward pressure, but we've had a turnaround in central banks. Generally, it takes 12 to 18 months for any central bank easing to feed through to the real economy. And that takes you to around the end of this year. But if you look at some of the, I mean, the part of the reason that uh, companies, or a huge part of the reason that companies are resistant to investing CapEx is not to do with central banks. It's to do with the uncertainty that comes with the unpredictable nature of President Trump and the, the various trade wars that he's, he's fighting at once. So, I mean, even though we have the central bank there to cushion the blow of any trade war escalation, you think that's enough to get the economy going further, going stronger toward no, the end I think, of the year? No, I think you're absolutely right that that is the key risk. And I would say that if we get to a point where this trade war has extended into next year and actually looks like it's going to continue through Q1, then certainly the chance of recession increases very significantly. And there's many economists out there who believe that a four to six month continuation of this trade war and impact on CapEx is going to push the economy. Short term, tactically, uh, you, you've mentioned uh, just to keep on chasing some risk assets. Where do you think investors should hone their focus at this point? Because there seemed to be a split last week between whether the US is still in a bull market versus Europe, which could just be trading sideways. So where do you think investors should focus? Well, I think out of all of them, I think we're, we're most worried about the European market, I think, at this stage. So I think that's one that we'd want to be looking to avoid at this stage. We actually think that on a relative value standpoint, the US is looking stronger than the rest. 
And it's interesting because obviously that, that's almost the culprit for, for many of the problems. But of course, they have the Federal Reserve, which is very strongly in action. They don't have many fundamental problems um, outside of the trade war. So we do feel that that can is outperform. Is the Fed strongly uh, ready to, to stimulate the economy, though? Because just reviewing some of Powell's commentary uh, this morning, it doesn't seem as though he has the ammunition. There's a couple of dissenters already. doesn't feel as though there, there's a huge push to be embarking upon a cutting cycle. One more, perhaps, would it even be a challenge potentially for, for Powell? I think that as a month goes, um, and you know, as we don't see a very turn up in data in the next few weeks, uh, given the market reaction, I think they have to be very cognizant of that. And I think there's been significant pressure on the Fed to cut further. And I think there's a September rate cut on the cards, and I think there's potentially another one later this year as well. So in terms of the dollar, it, 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 I think a lot comes down, of course, to what happens next with the, the trade on the trade front, whether it turns into a full-fledged currency war. How do you see pressure building around the dollar? On the one hand, you have what stands now as a fairly hawkish Fed, China's depreciation of the yuan. Is this going to propel the dollar higher as the year progresses, or do you think there's a chance that we see it weaken? Uh, I would say that the, the pressure is upwards on the dollar, and it's not just from China, but we're also looking at Europe, where the ECB is significantly more dovish um, and is more likely to be producing a very comprehensive package next month. So putting that all together, as well as the general outperformance of the US economy relative to a number of those other countries, I think it's all upwards for the dollar at this stage. All right. Well, Seema, stay with us. Plenty more to discuss as this show progresses. Seema Shah, Chief Strategist, Principal Global Investors. Now, the biggest names in Chinese tech report earnings this week with the key companies to watch being Tencent on Wednesday and Alibaba on Thursday. Arjun joins us now with more from Guangzhou. Arjun, what should we be watching this earnings season? Well, Juliana, let me kick off with uh, Alibaba to begin with. Investors are expecting a slowdown in revenue uh, growth, albeit still strong growth. The market's expecting about 38% revenue growth for Alibaba's June quarter. And that will be down from somewhere around the 58% growth mark seen in the same quarter last year. But that's to be expected. Alibaba has turned into a behemoth of a company and it's difficult to sustain that sort of, of revenue growth, growth as well. Investors are also expecting margins to come down slightly uh, because Alibaba continues to invest in new areas from food delivery to its cloud computing business. And actually, those are some of the areas that investors are, are going to be watching for to see how that's progressing and are quite excited about as well. On top, of course, of the core commerce business, that is the Taobao marketplace platform that Alibaba operates in China, as well as Tmall, uh, another e-commerce site which it operates. But on top of that, cloud computing has been a huge bright spot for the company, growing uh, quite consistently seven plus per quarter and it now accounts for about 8% of revenues uh, down up from about 6% last year so that continues to become an important part for Alibaba's business and investors will also be listening out for any commentary related to this trade war and whether that's had any continued effect on, on Alibaba as well just switching focus to Tencent now this is a uh, China's largest uh, technology firm by market cap investors expecting revenue growth for the June quarter of around 27% net income growth of about 24%. And there's a sense that the worst is behind Tencent. Now, what happened last year was the Chinese regulators put a complete freeze on approving new games. Uh, games have to be approved here in order to be released and eventually monetized as well. Now, Tencent's uh, business, uh, about 40% of it still relies on online gaming revenues. And so that was a big hit for the company. But the regulators have begun to improve more games. Tencent has had some new games come out as well. And that should uh, help its revenues, not just for the 
June quarter, but for the rest of the year, according uh, to analysts. Uh, but of course, it's beyond games for Tencent now. They've been looking to diversify their business into fintech with WeChat Pay, and of course, social media on WeChat, which has over a billion users. Um, they have a social media feature called Moments as well, which the company's beginning to put advertising into as well. And so that's going to be a key area of focus for investors as they look in Tencent over the long term. Those uh, new areas, as well as the, the strength of the core gaming business, is why investors are still very excited about Tencent going forward. Guys, back to you. Arjun, thank you very much for the roundup on earnings. Uh, great preview uh, coming up for the week. Uh, now also ahead today, Italy's party leaders meet in Rome as Deputy Prime Minister Matteo Salvini's attempt to bring down the government faces major pushback. Plus, coming up, this show, it's Food Week here on CNBC, and we're giving you some food for thought. Today, a look at food waste and some of the companies trying to solve the problem. Be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast to have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshan, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit easttechwest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back to Squawk Box. Here's a look for you at the Hong Kong airport where protesters have gathered for a fourth day of demonstrations. It comes after another weekend of clashes in the city, the 10th straight weekend since protests began in June. And there you've got uh, the scenes directly from the airport. Uh, and this comes, of course, after Cathay Pacific. Uh, they have made the move to suspend the personnel involved in the protest. So um, quite a disruption going on in Hong Kong. And that's uh, a live show for you. Cat and mouse tactics used on the weekend, uh, according to reports, where the protesters, when they're pressed by authorities, would disappear then gather somewhere else. So quite a change in the way they've been grouping versus just a, a one different, uh, very popular facility around Central. It's quite a visual way to describe it. It's easy mm. to sort of imagine, but also uh, hard to imagine that really happening on the ground there. We are going to push on and talk about uh, the business around Italy and the future of Italy's deeply fractured government hangs in the balance as Deputy Prime Minister Matteo Salvini faces pushback against his attempts to force an early election. Salvini had filed a no-confidence motion against his own ruling coalition, but the heads of other political groups, including his senior partner, the Five Star Movement, have indicated they will not support it. The heads of parties will meet in the Senate later today to discuss the motion and, if necessary, set a timetable for when the government could be dissolved. Meanwhile, Salvini has denied reports he will threaten to pull Italy out of the euro area if Rome cannot find a budget compromise with Brussels. This after La Repubblica reported Salvini will campaign on an anti-EU and anti-euro ticket if it comes to a snap election. But the deputy leader said leaving the bloc or single currency has never been in his party's pipeline. Let's come back to Simashar, Chief Strategist, 
principal global investors seem in contrast to the drive lower by bond yields. Italy's yield spiked last week, 1.81%. I mean, nothing huge when you think about where it has been in the past. However, very evident to the size of the move higher in contrast to elsewhere. What do you make of what's likely to happen here in the risk for investors? Well, there, there are significant risks around Italy. It's nothing that we don't know about. It's something which kind of every few months comes to the fore again. Um, I think with this specific issue here, what we're seeing is that analysts are very unsure about how this is going to pan out. We have um, obviously the, the kind of worries about being an anti-euro sentiment again. But actually, the true kind of La Lega has actually turned away from the anti-euro sentiment in the last year or so. Um, on top of that, there is actually still a fair amount of support for the euro. So I'd, I'm not entirely sure if that would go forward. Um, the real concern for me, though, is what the rating agencies do. Okay, because that, that's what the investors really need to be concerned about. Because if it does, it is downgraded further, you're going to be seeing um, four sellers there. Outside of that, now I do expect there to be a spike. But at some point, when you have negative yields across so much of Europe, Italy is an attractive buy at some point. Now, clearly not at this stage, but at some point, the risk return um, looks pretty decent. It's one of the few places that you can get a decent pickup. I strongly doubt that the European Commission would go so far as to penalise Italy um, very strongly for any um, movements in their debt numbers, simply because Europe is not in a position where it can afford to push Italy further into recession. Are elections necessarily a bad thing for markets? I mean, take your point about the ratings agencies for sure when it comes to the longer term implications of what's going on. But in terms of snap elections, I mean, investors really care about certainty and elections don't necessarily mean that we're going to enter a phase of increased uncertainty. So is it necessarily bad for markets? I think in the short term it is, specifically because in the short term we just don't know which way it's going. Now, clearly if there's a technocrat government in place, that's going to be um, very positively re uh, reacted by the, by the market. But on the other hand, you know, if we do go towards a tight coalition with some of the other far-right wings, then yes, there are concerns. I think it's just going to be seeing how really rating agents react, what are their uh, discussions on their fiscal agenda, um, and certainly if there is any anti-euro sentiment emerging. There is a concern that this is a play by Salvini to try and have a showdown with Brussels over the budget. If that is the case, how much pushback do you think there will be from Brussels this time around? I think less than in the past. There is a certain softening in the stance against fiscal loosening, um, I think there is a general acceptance that at these stages in the Europe, in the economic cycle, especially when you have monetary policy really struggling to take any effect, um, then this is the time for fiscal policy to come in. Now, it's never going to be as much as we would like them to be, but I do feel that there's a softening in that stance um, and a realisation that, you know, pushing back on an economy which is already struggling very deeply is not the right way, but it needs to be focused on structural reforms. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.